When, uh, Pastor, when Pastor Rod asked me to, uh, if I'd give the presentation today, I said, sure. When, when uh, God calls, I always say yes, and Rod is God <laughs> to me, so I say yes. And uh, so I was, it shows you how God works. <clears throat> I was looking through the, uh, the uh, uh, newspaper, and the first part I always read the comics, how many people do that, and there's a comic that's coming up here that I... Uh, I think it should be on the screen here uh, shortly. <laughs> it's coming. It says, oh, there it is. Oh, back, back one. There you go. The road to success is a long, difficult drive, but there's surprisingly little traffic. Lots of people turn off thinking they know a shortcut. And that's what we're going to find out today, that there's no shortcuts when it comes to following Jesus. Okay, about 90 miles south of Lexington, Kentucky, on I-75 is an exit that will take you to the town of Corbin, Kentucky. It's about lunchtime, so you decide to exit the highway looking for a place to eat along Route 25. As you drive along, you spot a sign that says, Visit the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. You also discover that it is a combination restaurant and museum. And in the 1930s, Harlan Sanders bought a restaurant and built a motel next to it. The number one recipe in the restaurant was his creation, the best fried chicken in the state of Kentucky. By 1956, Harlan Sanders was successful, but not well known. He was 66 years old, the time when many people retired. But then, calamity struck. Interstate 75 was being built and would bypass the town of Corbin, Kentucky. Meaning, nobody would stop at the motel or eat at his restaurant. If he was going to survive, he had to do something else. So he sold his restaurant and the motel and went into the chicken spice business, supplying restaurants in several states. Out of that little business came the idea to start a restaurant that would serve nothing but fried chicken cooked with his trademark 11 herbs and spices. Have you ever heard 11 herbs and spices before? <laughs> he decided to call his first restaurant Kentucky Fried Chicken, and the rest is history. A sign on the wall of the museum contains his credo, his motto. It's one sentence that describes the work ethic of this man, and the wording is simply, it's called the hard way. It is comparatively easy to prosper in life by trickery or the violation of confidence by oppressing the weak, or by sharp practices and cutting corners. All these methods we are so prone to condone in today's culture as being shrewd business. It's more difficult to prosper by keeping our promises, by delivering valuable goods and services, and denouncing so-called shrewd business tactics. It's tougher to be successful by maintaining good ethical standards, no matter what the cost. The easy way may be more profitable and speedy, but the hard way often takes longer and is more demanding. But as time goes on, we often discover that the easy way becomes harder and the hard way becomes easier. As a calendar records our years, it becomes increasingly evident that the easy way rests upon a hazardous foundation of shifting sands while the hard way builds solidly on a foundation of confidence that cannot be swept away. Eventually, the name of Colonel Harlan Sanders' creation was changed from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC. Today, there are somewhere around 20,000 KFC restaurants around the world, including China, and are they in Cambodia? 
they're in Cambodia. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pardon me? Pardon me? Oh, they don't, oh, they don't have McDonald's, but they got KFC. Harlan Sanders smiling, right? <laughs> there he is. <clears throat> and all of it was started by a man who decided he was not going to go the easy way. In all of life, there's always going to be these two ways, the easy way and the hard way. That's what life itself is all about. The question is, which way will we go? Here's an irony to think about. The easy road looks easy, but once you get on it, it turns into the hard road. And the hard road looks hard, but once you do the hard thing in life, it often turns out to be the easy thing. The easy road is deceptive. It can be the way of destruction, poverty, starvation, and desperation. It can also be the way to wasted days, wasted weeks, wasted months, and wasted years. The hard road, which appears to be so difficult, can ultimately be the road of blessing, fulfillment, and lasting spiritual growth. The easy road often takes us down to the bottom, of, down to the bottom, but the hard road can be that road that leads us up to the top. The hard road is tough, but it is very often the only one that goes where we want to go with our life. Consider this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told about two houses, one built on the sand and the other on solid rock. When a storm came, it destroyed the first house, but the second one lasted because it was built on a firm foundation. Jesus said that the rock was hearing his words and then putting them into practice. Let's write this down in the dust on your dashboard. The rock was hearing his words and putting them into practice. The easy way is building on the sand. The hard way is building on the rock. Jesus said the person who built on the sand was a fool, but the one who built on the rock was wise, leaving us to ponder one all-important question, am I wise or am I a fool? Let me apply this to our text from Jeremiah 29. God is speaking to the Jews who were in captivity. They had been forcibly taken from their homes in Jerusalem and marched hundreds of miles to faraway Babylon. It happened to them because for years, for generations actually, they and their ancestors had disregarded the Lord. They took God's blessings for granted. They turned to idolatry and they shrugged off his repeated warnings. At last, the day came when the Lord raised up a man named Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument of judgment against God's own people. Think about that for a moment. God raised up a pagan king to judge his own people. Now they are in Babylon, and they hate it. Not only is it a foreign land, their captors humiliate them at every turn, mocking their faith by saying, hey, sing us a song of Zion. Not surprisingly, some of the Jews wanted to find a shortcut to the path of God's judgment. Seventy years, no way, that's too long, too harsh, too, that's totally unfair. Seventy years? If you're 50 when it starts, you'll be dead when it's over. Seventy years? God wouldn't do that to us. Seventy years, that's the hard way. Yet God had ordained the hard way to be his way. And therefore, his way was the best way, even though it meant that his people would endure suffering, loss, separation from their homeland, disappointment, and 70 years of frustration. Nebuchadnezzar performed what God had ordained. He attacked and removed God's people from their homeland, 
against their will. The option of not going was not open to them. God's people had a choice. It wasn't even a case of the Jews asking, will we go along with God's plan? Because they were going along with it whether they liked it or not. The question then for us ultimately becomes something like this. Will I recognize God's hand at work in what has happened to me, and will I trust that my heavenly Father has a good purpose in what seems like a bad thing to me? The question boils down to something very practical, which is simply, will I respond to God's plan for my life in faith and hope, or will I complain and rebel in my heart? Now, I want you to notice a warning that is given in verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. We should know that there will always be some people around us that we should not listen to. In this particular case, there was a prophet named Hananiah who soon after the Jews were deported to Babylon made a bold prediction. According to Jeremiah 28, he publicly declared that within two years the king and his officials would return from Babylon. All the gold the Babylonians had looted and along with all the Jews who had gone into captivity. He claimed to be speaking in the name of the Lord himself. Now, you can imagine that this message was very popular with certain people, especially with the families of those left behind in Jerusalem. Eventually, the word spread to the exiles that a prophet had said they were coming home soon. Forget all this business about 70 years. You're going to be coming home in two years. Do the math. That's only 24 months. Talk about good news. This was it. 70 years is a long time, no matter how you count it. 70 years is uh, 25,500 days, or 2,207,520,000 seconds. That's more hairs than I lost off the top of my head. (laughs) Or think of it another way. Or think of it another way. 70 years ago, some of us weren't even born yet. 70 years ago, the average cost of a new home was just under $7,500. 70 years ago, the first airplane flew around the world nonstop in just over 94 hours. 70 years ago, get this, a gallon of gas cost 17 cents, which isn't much, but back then the average hourly wage was 70 cents an hour. 70 years ago, George Orwell published his classic book, 1984. And 70 years ago, RCA perfected a system for broadcasting television in color. (laughs) 70 years is a long time to be somewhere you don't want to be. And if you were in that somewhere, or if your loved ones were there, you'd be glad to hear the news that they were coming home in two years, not 70 years. That was the seductive appeal of Hananiah. He was like the popular prosperity preachers of today who make lavish promises of health and wealth if only we will sow a seed of faith by sending them some of our money. If we take care of them, God will take care of us. A new car, it's yours. Cured of illnesses, it's on the way. A better job, 
You can have it, name it, claim it, believe it, and receive it. It's all very seductive, especially when the message is baptized in a pool of misapplied Bible verses. Listen carefully again to verses 8 and 9. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Eugene Peterson offers this paraphrase. Don't pay any attention to the fantasies they keep coming up with to please you. The false prophets and the prosperity preachers are with us because we want them with us. They prosper because we have itching ears, eager for someone to pander to our desires and to tell us that everything is going to be okay. There is always a bull market for preachers who offer big promises. But in the end, it's the truth tellers who will prevail. For example, in May 1940, Winston Churchill, how many people remember that name? Winston Churchill was appointed Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to lead the fight in the war against Nazi Germany. In his first speech as Prime Minister to the House of Commons on May 13th, he uttered these now famous words. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. Then he added this, you ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by land, sea, and air. War with all our might and with all the strength God has given us and to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer on one word, it is victory. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of terrors, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. It would take five more years. But his words at last would come true. The ultimate defeat of the Third Reich brought to an end one of the darkest chapters of human history. It was a long, hard road indeed. Now, if we could go back to Jerusalem in the year 595 B.C. or thereabouts, we would understand better why a man like Hananiah was so popular. Consider this. The city had been defeated, the government overthrown and deported, and thousands of citizens had been displaced. A puppet king sat on the throne. In In a few years, the Babylonians would return and finish the job, destroying the temple, tearing down the walls, killing some people, and deporting others leaving the once proud city of Jerusalem a total wasteland. If we had been living in that gray zone between invasions, knowing that it was just a matter of time until the Babylonians would come back, we too would be easy prey for anyone promising us a quick end to our troubles. There was only one problem with Hananiah's message. It didn't come from God. God never said it. Hananiah just made it up. There is no greater sin than to falsely claim to speak for God. For a prophet, that was an offense punishable by death because God takes his word seriously. He pays careful attention when someone says, the Lord told me to say this. That's something we should never do. It's better to say, this is my opinion, 
this is what I hope will happen, or even this is my personal prediction, rather than, pre- rather than presume to speak for God. We can be wrong about a prediction, and it won't necessarily, necessarily get us into trouble. But when we claim to be speaking for God, we had better be 100% certain. Jeremiah 28, verse 15 through 17, gives us the end of Hananiah's story. This is what Jeremiah says to him. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but the people believe your lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you must die. Your life will end this very year because you have rebelled against the Lord. And two months later, the prophet Hananiah died. This is the reason why we should not listen to false prophets. Their predictions fail and they end up defeated. God makes sure that those who falsely claim to speak for him are brought down. Admittedly, the end is not always as swift or as sudden as what happened to Hananiah, but God will not prosper those who rebel against them. Sometimes it seems that the good die young and the bad guys prosper, leading to some anxiety among God's people. But God knows what's going on. He knows what we're going through. And in the end, evil will not win out. Wrongdoers will be dealt with, and those who trust in God will prevail. So remember, trust God regardless of your circumstances. Here's God's promise. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home. Now notice how specific this promise is. It has a limit, 70 years. It has a location, Babylon. It depends on God's personal involvement. I will come to you. It flows from God's grace. Fulfill my gracious promise to you. It results in deliverance. I will bring you back. It ends where they began to this place. This is specific and clear as a promise from God can get. The only question left is whether or not the exiles will fight against God's plan or whether they will embrace it by making the best of their situation. The exiles had no alternatives. They lacked the military power to rebel against Babylon, and they had no leverage to buy their way out of captivity. God's message to them is, face up to reality. You are in Babylon for 70 years, whether you like it or not. Listening to the false prophets will only make you unhappy, and it will not lead to your freedom. They do not speak for me, and their words cannot be trusted But remember my words. When 70 years are completed, I will keep my word and you will return home to Jerusalem. Now we can lay out God's message this way. I've not forgotten you. I will bring you back home, but not on your timetable. 70 years will pass. Many will grow old and die in Babylon. But when my purposes are completed, I will bring you home. God's purposes and ours are rarely the same. Or to say it more accurately, we tend to look at life through the prism of our own tiny field of vision. We look for what we want, what we think is best, what makes sense to us, what will make us happy, 
what we want for our children, and so on. These things are not always bad. Actually, sometimes they are noble impulses. But by definition, even our noblest impulses pale when weighed against the plan of God that spans the ages, that covers the universe, that started long before we were born and will come to completion in God's time somewhere in the future. Remember, trust God regardless of the consequences. God had a plan in mind that went beyond the Jewish exiles. The exiles were there as a punishment from God for generations of idolatry. But they were also there for their own spiritual growth. They needed to be there. But the Babylonians also needed them, whether they knew it or not. The 70 years were meant by God as a gift of grace, a mark of his kindness to the fierce, proud, idol-worshiping Babylonians. God sent the exiles to them, now get this, to bear witness for him in that pagan land. The Babylonians are unknowingly serving God's purposes, and the exiles were serving God in a way that they not even, couldn't even imagine. And that's why Jeremiah 29 is, is so crucial. Facing reality is always the first step in spiritual renewal. We cannot get better as long as we live in a dream world of what used to be or what might have been or even what might be tomorrow. Our only option is to live in the present and to do our best right now, right where we are, serving God and loving others in Jesus' name. Here again, trust God regardless of your circumstances. Sometimes we may find ourselves in Babylon, a place we don't like and where our circumstances are unlikely to change anytime soon. This is where we discover what we truly believe. Here's what this means in practical terms. You may be thinking today, this isn't the marriage I hope for or the job or the life I was supposed to live. God says it doesn't matter. Live as though your life, your marriage, and your job are the ones you were supposed to have because at this moment, they are. You may feel like an exile, but you are living the life God has for you. It might not be your plan, but it is a life that he can redeem. I began this message by talking about the easy way and the hard way. Here's the point I have saved until the end. If you are looking for Jesus, you won't find him on the easy road. His way is the way of pain, suffering, rejection, difficulty, loneliness, and death. I know this is true because at Easter time we remember how he died an agonizing death on a Roman cross outside the city walls, rejected by the very people he came to save. His death was the ultimate hard road. The easy way would have been to avoid death at all costs, to make a deal with the devil, to follow his human instincts in Gethsemane, but he did the hard thing, the hardest thing any person has ever done. And because he did that hard thing, the doors of heaven now swing open for you and me. Jesus is found on the hard road of obedience, submission, suffering, pain, rejection, and misunderstanding. If you're looking for the Son of God, go to the cross and you will find him there. And that same Jesus, now risen from the dead, calls to us and says, 
Take up your cross and follow me. It is not always an easy way to live. When tragedy strikes, when life caves in, when our plans are dashed on the jagged rocks of reality, when we find ourselves in a place we never wanted to be, that's when we discover what we really believe. And more importantly, that's when the world discovers what we believe. Either God is enough for us, or he isn't. Either Jesus is more precious than life, or he isn't. But the truth comes out always. And in those moments when you rest your weary soul on the God of the universe, when you cry out to Jesus and discover that he really is there after all, that hard road turns out to be the best road. In fact, the only way that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that we are fortified in order to live our days knowing that regardless of our circumstances and regardless of the consequences, we will trust you and we will keep our eyes on Jesus, our hope, as we stand on his promise to abide with us, walk with us, and be with us always. For we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.